You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On to Just Baseball Show. It is Monday, November 22nd. Jack McMullen, Arm Layton. I just got done watching Pedro Severino 2019 Baltimore Orioles highlights. What have you done with your Sunday night? Not that. Not that, actually. I was watching football. I was. This is like a role reversal here. Dork. I was watching that, that Steelers-Chargers game. I was going against uh, Austin Eckler in fantasy. So safe to say, uh, blew my 30 point lead. I was yeah. feeling pretty comfortable. And, uh, so now I just get to record a disappointed podcast. How about this? I had Jonathan Taylor on my fantasy team and I still lost by 40. Yeah. Is that, is that the one in, in the just baseball league? It's not, it's a, it's a different league. Um, you know, no offense, but that's actually the one that I take most serious. Uh-huh, the one uh-huh. of the other league. Uh, it's the, the classic. One, you know, I'm doing bad in this league, so I take the other one more seriously. I, I take the, the ones thing. I do better in seriously, too. Here's the thing. I was on like a five-game win streak, I think. <laughs> you went all college guys. I went all college guys, and it worked out for a little bit. Jamar Chase, hit. Devontae Smith, hit. You I went mean, like – I mean, I know everybody's a college guy, obviously, in the NFL, but you went with like the college known guys, like the the patented college guys. And yeah, I mean, Jonathan like, Taylor, he, patented college guy, but he's a baller. 2,000-yard yeah. rusher at uh, – or 3,000-yard rusher at Wisconsin. So he was hanging. Might do it again. Uh, might do it again in one season. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk – not really Pedro Severino. I thought that was an interesting pickup. Um, we're going to save a lot of the Rule 5 conversation because he had roster protections. Um, there were some guys who were left off, 40 mans, that – was very weird what's the plural of 40 man is it 40 man roster like 40 mans or is it 40 men 40 mans i think i think technically speaking it would be 40 mans because it's it's the roster itself is the 40 man roster yeah and you can't change what it's called you can't make it the 40 man roster right and that you know it's like its own separate entity so you've got it's like a proper noun i think I, th- I think so. So you can't um, change it. But here's my thing. You know, go to a leading communication school in America and don't let anybody forget it. Syracuse, the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications, God. top flight. Uh, 
listen, I have no idea when to use persons versus people. And I feel like it's that's the weird. That's I thought that was like an optional thing. Maybe like his persons just meant to sound educated. Well, I don't, the only time I see persons in a context is like when you're walking in a building, and it's like no more than 56 persons in this building, like with the sign yeah. for the firehouse. Well, why can't you just say people? I agree. I don't know. I did. See, and also, I've never brought up the Syracuse thing on here. You just did. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to tally that on the side. That's just fine. how many, how many new house douchebag uh, plugs yeah. one of us brings up. Totally. Uh, there's one. That's fine. You know what? Uh, while we're at it, shout out Roy Terry, who was the uh, – <laughs> did you have him, the professor? Oh, I had Roy Terry. I think Roy I failed Terry. every test. But Roy great, Terry great, great awesome. professor. Just oh, super hard. It's not his fault that English is the hardest language uh, when you really get into the weeds. It's it's yeah. impossible. Oh, my God. Like French actually had a formula. It, when I was studying that, like middle school, high school, and college, like French made sense. Right. It was here's how you conjugate. Here's how, you know, words are structured in the past tense. And then we've got weird O-U-G-H-T, which just sounds like A-T sometimes. Like it doesn't make any sense. But let's talk about baseball. Um, You wrote a great article that is available on JustBaseball.com that is a deep dive into the dysfunction of the Colorado Rockies. And this is something that we've always just said and taken as law, right? Like, oh, the Rockies are idiots. Yes. You said, here's why the Rockies are Mm -hmm. idiots. And you almost laid out a timeline of their idiocy. And it was pretty awesome to read and just like almost quantify everything we're saying qualitatively about them. Yeah. What really prompted me to do it was what we saw with the story and gray situation where, you know, with John gray, they could have traded him at the deadline. We saw what arms were fetching was John gray going to get you two top 50 prospects. No, but he could have got you. He could have got you some quality prospects, no doubt about it. And they decide, nah, we'll hold on to him. He said he wants to sign an extension. So, uh, we'll try to extend him and they go into, you know, that off season. All right. Going into it, there's one week left in the season. That's when they make the offer. So they had that exclusive negotiating window. Don't use it. And, you know, without rehashing the whole story, that was something that just kind of got me going. And then I'm thinking Trevor's story. I'm like, there's no way that they couldn't field a better offer than a comp pick. I, I just don't, I don't believe that even if story was having a bad year. So, when I looked at those two things, I was like, I want to see where this all started and, and how long this has been going on and started thinking about Arenado and the way that was handled. That was and a terrible deal. It, you don't realize how bad the situation was. I knew the deal was bad, but the whole situation, the way they, they really handled it, it was just like almost self-sabotage. But that trade in itself, there's so many things wrong with it. But it, it's almost as if I was like, maybe they know something I don't. I looked at it from every angle possible and I was like, no, they, they really are that inept. And I always think that it, it can't be possible, right? There's professionals in that role, but they're capable of making mistakes that catastrophic. It's amazing. I don't really understand how that stuff all unfolded. And hopefully you can shed a little bit more light on this because like the Nolan Arenado deal, I remember, oh, okay. Arenado's on the market. Like he's going to get a top 10 prospect in baseball. And you've got Liberator and Gorman that are still sitting here in the Cardinal system. And it's like no deal 
or a top five player in baseball at the time, Coors bump or not, should not be getting Liberator and Gorman in return, right? Like you need to get one and two or one and three in a system if you're giving up the best third baseman in baseball at the time of the deal. And that's what the Cardinals got away. I mean, they got away with highway robbery for Nolan Arenado. And, you know, you're thinking there's got to be this weird catch, right? Like maybe he actually is just a Coors merchant, right? And he's not going to hit 30 bombs. Oh, wait, he's not going to be in contention for a platinum glove. Oh, wait, he's not going to like nothing dropped off when he went to Bush. Like Nolan Arenado is still an exceptional baseball player and you can make the argument for top 10 player in baseball and they got almost nothing in return from St. Louis. And then just going back to story and gray real quick, you're right. Like story, they could have gotten a top 50 prospect in baseball at the very least. If it was just a one-on-one, they could have gotten two top 100 guys for Trevor story at the deadline because it was a seller's market this year. Oh yeah. I mean, and you get a comp pick for him. And then John Gray, you don't even get a comp pick because you don't extend him the qualifying offer. Like That's the craziest so, part. There are so many weird parts of how they function with so many deals that is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah, I, you, you laid it out perfectly because I'll, I'll get into the Arenado thing in a second because there's some really confusing aspects to it where I'm just like even more just lost in whatever rationale they tr- attempted to apply there. But, but the really crazy thing with, with gray is they had that ex- exclusive negotiating window throughout the rest of the season. After the deadline, you could get a really good pulse at that point. You know, if he's going to maybe sign a deal with you or not, obviously it's too late to trade him at that point, but you would have a good idea as to whether your offer would be in the ballpark of a QO and what would happen. They make him an offer. He turns it down immediately. It was, it was about 10 to $12 million a year over a few years, I think. Then they're like, Oh, well, we're not going to offer him the QO because if he accepts that now we have to pay him that for a year. Who cares if he accepts that you get another chance to now trade him at the deadline again, and redo what you messed up last time. And yes, you would have to be pay him $18 million, but that's the going rate for a decent pitcher. But we know that's the big hold up there was they didn't want to offer him the QO in the off chance that he takes the QO and they have to pay him market value for him. Like that's the craziest part. Maybe it's a little above market value, but I think for them relatively, you have a guy that pitches better in cores. That's so rare. You take that guy and he's worth 18 million to you. So that, that was crazy to me. The Arenado thing, a big reason why the trade uh, was so bad was because they had no leverage. They had a, uh, what was it, a player option in that deal, right? Arenado just decided right now if he was going to opt out or not. He didn't opt out. That was a big reason why the the package wasn't as good is because he, they're like, oh, well, we can be a free agent next year. Then what are we going to do? And the craziest part about that is – the more I did research and the more I dug into it, I found out that it was actually the Rockies who encouraged him to have the, the no trade clause. He didn't even why? ask for it. Like why? He didn't even ask for it. And, and according to <laughs> it just blows my mind. He's like, yes, we want you. <laughs> we want you to have the no trade clause. Uh, the former GM, Jeff British, he said basically, and I'm paraphrasing, but the quotes in the article somewhere, like, we want to give him the opportunity. If he doesn't want to be here, then he can leave. And, and that's why I encouraged him to have it in there. We only want people that want to be here. And I was just like, 
that in itself is like a very, very powerful undertone of like, I don't really want this guy here. Like there was clearly a rift between the two and it was just bizarre, even in an extension, something that should be exciting and celebrated. There's still this undertone of like, can't wait to get you out of here. And and it's just really bizarre. And that was a big reason why the package sucked. I want to hear what you have to say. And then I'm going to go into specifics on the money of the package, which blows my freaking mind. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the deal with with that thought, with that thinking from the Astro or from the Rockies front office. I don't know why the Astros has popped in my mind here, but it, my thing on that is you are negotiating that deal in the late 2010s, right? Like that that came about in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, yeah. Maybe a little um, before that. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was 2019. It was early 2019. It was early 2019. Um, in early 2019, the thinking had already shifted. We are fully enveloped in the thinking now that I'm about to lay out, but the thinking had already shifted to this in large part. There are sharks and there are dolphins. Dolphins do not survive. And the Rockies are made up of dolphins. Everybody else is a great white shark, where if you don't want them here, you get rid of them. If the Rockies don't want Nolan Arenado's service, if they want to ditch him, you sell him for anything. You make it clear it's the Sixers Ben Simmons thing, right? Like, he can play for us, but we don't want him. He doesn't factor in here. I mean, Joel Embiid came out and said, I don't concern myself with, with Ben Simmons anymore. Like, nobody is is trying to pussyfoot around everybody else, right? Like they're all looking out for, you know, themselves. That's how this should work. That's how the business of sports should work. There is too much money not to think about yourself first. And the Rockies obviously Mm -hmm. were trying to be nice to a guy that they didn't see in their future plans. Like, don't do that. Just trade him. Yeah. I. And if you did that, if you cut the bullshit, you could get a lot more. Well, and the bullshit was what ended up pissing Nolan Arenado off. It, it was the false promises is what the reports were. And, and actually, the more I heard about it, too, it was it was the we're going to spend, which is what they told him when they signed, you know, when he signed the extension. And then they let DJ LeMahieu go. And then they let, you know, a few other guys go. And they don't have a farm system. And the craziest part is they let LeMahieu go for two years, 24 million is what he signed for with the Yankees. Yeah. They replace yeah. him. Uh, and not that he fills in at the exact position, but that he essentially replaces him in the lineup and with the same role, basically, with three years, 24 million for freaking Murphy, bro. Like Daniel Murphy, who Daniel has Murphy, serious character flaws that everybody was aware of at the time of signing. I mean, obviously, you remember when he stood on his head with the Mets in the 2015 NLCS, but like. Here's the thing about Daniel Murphy. It was on record before he did that, that he legitimately said, I don't have a problem with gay people. They're just less of human beings than I think straight people are like a full. I don't even mean to laugh. It's just the most absurd. It's just like, how do you sign somebody who says that? Like, why are they touchable? Right. Well, and that's a guy that you replace. You replaced DJ LeMahieu with. Who's a leader. Yeah. Even if, even though he wasn't Yankees DJ yet, he was still really darn good. And they said after, like, oh, yeah, we shouldn't have let DJ walk. Wish we could do that, that over no again. Shit. Yeah. No shit. No shit. That one, that was the crazy one to me. But to the package with Arenado, this is the craziest part, is, yes, they lost the leverage, which, which at that point you're like, okay, it's kind of like the Mookie Bet situation, let's say, but a little bit different where everyone just knows he's gone. 
And even though he's a superstar, you're just not quite going to get market value. You're going to probably get 60 cents on the dollar. Like that's the general expectation. They got zero, actually not even a penny on the dollar because they end up kicking in 50 million and it's deferred. And I'm sure there's some like a bunch of different aspects to it, but they're paying a, a decent chunk over the next two years of Nolan Arenado's contract just to maximize their prospect return. So I, in, in theory, don't mind that if they were getting, if that got them Gorman and Liberator, like if that's what they had to do, in theory, I don't hate it. They did that to get a package of mediocre to subpar prospects. That's the craziest freaking part to me. It's like you traded and added $51 million for a package that wasn't worth $51 million. Like if it was just 50 million, like forget Arenado for a second, you can have these prospects, these four prospects for 50 million. I'd say, no, I wouldn't give up more than 15 million for those prospects. Like in terms of signing, you know, international free agent, let's pretend they are. None of them are worth more than a couple million each maximum. And I don't even think they're worth that. So what are the Rockies thinking here? Like, what are, what are they doing? That's, that's the, that's the craziest part to me. Man, I, I just got sidetracked with the Daniel Murphy thing. I mean, like, I agree with you. The the structure was weird. The return was weird. Let me clarify what this is because I just got down this rabbit hole again. So um, I believe it was like 2014 major league baseball hired Billy bean, not with an E a different Billy bean, Um, former major league baseball player, openly gay as an ambassador for inclusion. Daniel Murphy said after meeting with Billy bean, Quote, I disagree with his lifestyle. I do disagree with the fact he is homosexual. And the Rockies signed him for three years, $24 million. I mean, like, what the, what? How do you do that? How do you do that? Um, Yeah, they are just so inept. And the return for Arenado was was nothing like what it should be. And the conversation with Arenado was nothing like it should be. But the reality is Arenado is one of the very few that has made it through this uh, gauntlet and what feels like the inevitable downfall of the Rockies minor league system. And I know you wrote about that. I mean, it is it's a graveyard. Riley Pine, he was the one that jumped out. I I was sitting there in Fort Wayne getting ready for a tin caps game. And I got it. I got an alert from the athletic, you know, former top 10 pick Riley Pine retires from baseball. I was like, oh, my God. Riley Pine, but there are a lot that have retired from baseball in the Rockies. Three, three of their last six first round picks have retired. And, you know, knowing guys in, in pro ball now, and just knowing how much the, the state of the org impacts their desire to play like flat out uh, really shows me, you know, how much I think the Rockies played a part in those guys' careers. I'm not saying that they, you know, it's, solely the Rockies fault. I think Riley Pine obviously had a lot of mechanical issues to sort out and and had a lot of areas where he needed to improve. But I think there's a level of like, I'm never going to figure this out in this organization. And I think a lot of those guys, they just lost the love for it because they had no hope, no faith because the Rockies weren't doing anything to develop talent. And when you have three of your six first round picks retire, there's something going on within your org because that just doesn't happen. You have first round picks from dude. Matt Bush is still playing baseball. Like right. guys don't want to give it up. They're, they don't just give it up in a couple of years. You, you have one guy here or there because it's a very individual thing. And some don't want to deal. And Mark Appel's still kicking it. Like they don't want to just give it up. It's baseball. We love it. We're going to keep going until we can, even if we know 
that we're not going to be nearly as good as we were supposed to be. But those guys who just said, fuck it, I'm done. You're chasing this dream that your entire life you have strived for. And the reality is, yes, Riley Pint, I was watching in that Under Armour All-America game at Wrigley Field going into his senior year of high school. And yes, he was 102, but he couldn't throw a strike to save his life. I mean, it was eye high every time. So you saw this and you said, okay, I mean, it's 102 from a 17-year-old, but he can't throw a strike. But a lot of these other guys, like, you know, Ryan Rollison should be up in any other organization. He should be he fell on his face. He fell on his face this year. You know, like, it's just it, like, but I, I'm, I'm slow to blame it on Ryan Rollison. Oh no. At this point, I think it's not him. Cause he actually showed a lot. I, you know, I, when you get to that point, you're like encroaching on the big leagues. Like you need, you need help to, to tweak those, those little things and, and to get the most out of your stuff. And that's where all the analytics come in and, and teams that invest in that type of thing. The, the Rockies, who was it that said this? I think it was it was Bill Schmidt right after he he got hired in a, in a response to analytics in general. He's like, yeah, we want to get back to some of that. <laughs> it's like get back to some of that. Get back to what? Like using some of those analytics things. Yeah. Like that's that's where it's scary because I know like we talk about the balance of analytics and everything, but if you're running your team. And and you don't have a prominent analytics department. You can decide how much you want to apply that into the individual aspects of, of the game. But when it comes to developing players, it, it's it's unanimous. You need that information. You need those analytics. You need all that stuff. It's it's at this point, it's like a lobotomy versus like antidepressants. Like that's how it, that's how polarizing yeah. it is to me because you, you just can't you can't treat players and get more out of their stuff and get more out of what they're doing. Uh, without using that stuff at this point with, with how much everybody else knows. I, I, in terms of scouting, in terms of player development, in terms of personnel uh, in a front office, I think there should be a one-to-one ratio of major leaguers to Ivy leaguers. That's how I'll put it. Right. I, I just think think it's perfect. That's the way that people should be functioning. Well, and here's a perfect way to put it. Well, because also you get those Ivy leaguers and those baseball players together and, and, those guys actually work together like they do. If they in, can, in have, the an, if they can have a civil conversation. If Which is what happens match. in those orgs. That's what happens yes. in those orgs. They yes. have those conversations. And then and then they they find a middle ground, which is usually a higher confidence interval in, you know, the right answer. And, and I think what sums it up the best with the Rockies is when the Rockies minor league affiliate plays the Dodgers minor league affiliate, I would venture to say that the Dodgers – organization or you know the analytics department knows more about those rockies prospects than the rockies whatever department knows about their own prospects and and i think that's and and how can you expect those guys to succeed because they're attacking them knowing their weaknesses and and the rockies organization probably doesn't even know you know what those weaknesses are to work on and, and how to apply that and their hitting coordinator probably doesn't even use any of that like that that's what i'm hearing and that's the scariest part uh but when you're kicking in the 50 million for a prospect of return that's worth about 10 uh, those are the things that to me is is just they're, they're just kind of running around like a chicken with their head cut off and yeah the story was fun to write because we're just we're just scratching the surface uh, there's about a million other things the michael Givens trade to then trade him was another one that I really loved. You were yeah. you're below 500. You're a terrible team, and you're like, ah, let's go get that 30 year old reliever. They gave up or Taryn Varva, and they gave up Tyler Nevin, two guys that are solid prospects that damn well they could use, which is actually yeah. more than they're going to get for Trevor Story. <laughs> and and then they flip Michael Givens a year later for less. So it just it just doesn't make any sense to me. I just 
I can't even explain it. I mean, Tyler Nevin, Taryn Vavra both just got protected by the Orioles, right? In their 40 man ahead of the yeah, there you go. Right? I mean, that does that yep. those are two guys on the 40 man that you should have, yes, in place of a guy who's not, you know, like really anything anymore. A reliever, he time he was a fine a reliever. reliever, even like if he was the best reliever Vavra, in baseball. But like Vavra is like the fourth infielder for the Orioles for the next six years, seven years. Like he, he is might a start too. Like he could be a starter. Like yeah, he's a fringe, he's a fringe starter. I, I, I honestly think like he's been hurt. He can hit. He can just hit. I, I see him being almost like a uh, Louis Guillaume type. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe not as prolific with the glove, but a little bit better of a hitter. Like you're getting that. I mean, screw it, man. That guy is more valuable to to a team that's rebuilding than anybody else. And Nevin can swing it. I mean, if he, if something yep. clicks for him, I mean, like you said, they protected him, and that's a system that's really good. That's a decent active roster now with some of the talent they have. Those are two guys that they're like, hey, we think they might turn into big leaguers. If not, those are two really good bench pieces, and they're young and controllable, and they're cheap. And the Orioles are thrilled about it. I, I'm pro- I promise you, they are. Yeah, Louis Guillaume, I like that comp. Um, you know how much I love the uh, fringe starter in the middle infield, Mauricio Dubon. That's my guy. Uh, oh yeah, Mauricio Dubon types and college guys. Those, those are my people. <laughs> um, you just sent the name Luke and Baker in a group text, and I was like, yeah, college guy. Yeah, he's going to go in the rule five of the year. Yeah, damn. I mean, five. that dude, he was so unathletic at TCU, but he was just like the classic big guy who would just run into some balls and didn't wear batting gloves. He was just good, old, good country boy. I love it. He rakes. He absolutely rakes. He does. Uh, he can't do I, much of anything else, but he rakes. Seth Beer-esque. I like it, though. I like those guys, too. <laughs> and with Seth the NL, does. no, but, but with yeah. the NL acquiring a DH most likely – I think Luke and Baker is going to be one of the first names off the board in the, in the roll five. So he could. Uh, this is going to kind of tease Wednesday's episode. Totally. This is going to be one of the most talented rule five drafts maybe ever because totally. no 2020 season. So when you have no minor league season, the You've development's delayed. Yeah. Development's delayed. So yeah, you essentially have two prospect classes in this. There's a lot of talent to be had here. Like the, usually it's like, Oh yeah, the rule five, it's it's you're throwing a dart. I'll venture to say that at least three or four guys in this rule five will have an impact on a big league team next year that, that will Absolutely. actually notice. And we'll be like, Whoa, that guy was rule five. Yeah. And, and it, uh, that's, what's cool. I, I actually, it's one of my favorite things about baseball because you, with, it is a slight, slight, slight hedge of a terrible control system. We talk about with, with players, right. Where, you know, they have control of guys for six years and sometimes they can just stash guys in the minors and whatever it is. Like it, it's, a better, slightly good hedge of the delaying the clock. Obviously, it doesn't do enough, but it is one of the reasons why I love the Rule Five. It's like, okay, if you if you don't value this guy enough, then you know someone else will, and and if yeah. they don't, then you're right to not value him that much. It's like perfect. It's like setting the market value. Uh, so I'm trash. a big fan of it. I'm looking forward looking forward to talking about it on Wednesday. Totally. Um, let's wrap talking about this article that I read in the athletic last week and I texted you and I said, we have to talk about this. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm really curious about it too. It was about Pitchcom, and it was developed by a pair of mentalists who, you know, mentalists it, uh, <laughs> recommendation. If you have Hulu, Derek Delgadio's in and of itself on Hulu, Derek Delgadio is a mentalist magician type. And I have no idea how to describe the programming. It's about an hour, hour 15. 
and it is one of the deepest and craziest things I've ever seen. I'd call it a performance. He performed. He had a live audience in New York. He did it like 200, 300 times um, at, at a playhouse of sorts. It was a small theater and he it, it was almost like a, a mentalist performance or a magician performance. But this pitch com was developed by two mentalists and the premise is um, you've got the catcher who wears like a wristband type, um, you know, maybe even smaller than that. And you've got the pitcher wearing a band around their hat and the catcher can punch one of nine buttons that will be pitch type. And then he can punch another of the nine buttons that will be pitch location. So he just looks down to his wrist. He hits these two buttons and then either English or Spanish or any other language that the pitcher speaks, that band will say to them fastball low and away or curveball low and inside. And that they believe and major league baseball believes is the future of signage from pitchers to catchers and vice versa so as to prevent the sign stealing. It was a fascinating concept. And I think you and you and I both just had our heads spin for a little bit after reading it. Yeah. I, like, And, and I, I think it's a smart idea, you know, like a tip of the cap you, to those guys. For, do you, I think it's an intelligent thought. Is that a better yeah. way of putting it? Like the, yes. the, they were, they were creative innovative but it doesn't necessarily mean it's practical right and that's that's where i draw the line is for me if i click a button and then i click another button to tell you what's going on and then you shake me off and i gotta click another button and another button then you shake me off which happens plenty of times so we shake off two pitches times all the time like uh, i might hit the wrong thing at that point i think you're gonna get crossed up way more in this situation yeah. uh, like because it's it just way there's a level of of yes you want to hide the signs from the other team but there has to be a little bit of a demonstrative nature of your signs to almost be on the same human component dating back to like cavemen biological date like the the basic basic human aspect you and i making signals to each other you can kind of get body language and know if you're on the same page. If I'm clicking totally. a button and then I get nothing from you, like I, I, I'm not going to know if we're on the same page. I can tell by the way you're looking at my signs if if I think, oh, wait, he might not be seeing me right. Like that's when they usually call time and, and they go out there. I, I just I just don't know if I, if I could get behind that as a catcher. I'd be very stressed about getting crossed up. And as a pitcher, I definitely don't want some some shit in my ears and on my head. Like, I I don't think that the sign stealing is that much of an issue that we have to go through this kind of crazy crazy change for what? It's not like some crazy thing that's debilitating baseball. If this was a sticky substance solution, it'd probably be more important than yeah. sign stealing. I don't I just don't think it's an issue. And it would be fast-tracked, and this is still kind of being fast-tracked. Major League Baseball implemented it in the second half of the year in Loe West, and a lot of the people in Loe West that were using it had some positive things to say about it. They had a lot less fear that their signs were being stolen with a runner at second base. The con was that 
it was slowing the game down and the pitch clock being apparent as well. It was always a race against the pitch clock. So the only time that this really speeds the game up is when there's a runner at second base and you got to go through the sign sequence. If you're a catcher, if there's nobody on or there's a runner at first, you can just drop a sign down and move to your spot. And that's that. And the only people that are taking those signs are the ones that are banging on trash cans or the ones that are shining strobe lights from center field. It was Ryan Spader that just sent out a bunch of like claims with absolutely zero credibility midway through the season. Right. He was just like Adrian Beltre had a guy waving a shirt or something. Yeah. That was when a breaking ball was coming. That was bizarre. Like that, that felt. And then he's just like, I'm sorry. And this was the worst decision I ever made. We're just like, yeah, we said it the second he put that out there. We're like, oh, that's not a good idea. Right. It's just like you can say these things, but just know you're going to get sued. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously, seriously, seriously sued. Um, And and I think he had some uh, I think he had some people come to him and say, where's your empirical evidence? Yep. He said, "Uh, I've talked to people. And yes, some guy, some guy told me. Right. You're going to lose millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, Just don't for everybody listening out there that was thinking about making this bold, harsh claim. Don't do it unless you can totally back it up. Okay. Um, No matter how much you trust the person who told it to you. Yeah. You got to be able to back this shit up, especially when you're dealing with millionaires. Um, I mean, like talking about Adrian Beltre, like a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I and mean, the, saying all that time he had good a guy, guy waving a t-shirt, like watch the video. Okay. Maybe he was just a fan waving a t-shirt. I don't know. That, that was a problem. But yeah, this is called Pitchcom. Um, P-I-T-C-H-C-O-M. It was implemented in Loe West. Uh, you know, some people had some good things to say about it. I think Loe was also the one using the robotic ump for a little bit as well. Yeah, which um, is a disaster also. Yeah, I mean, it's all kind of a disaster. What I did like is there was almost this, um, it not fact checking, but there was this quality control aspect from the managers who had an iPad in the dugout and they would like tap in whenever they thought that a robotic strike call was too high, like this mm-hmm. missed. And they adjusted the strike zone from there. So they expanded it horizontally. They shrunk it vertically. Um, and I appreciate that there is some feedback from human beings during this process. Uh, Pitchcom, I don't, it just, just close your eyes and let me paint you this picture here. Um, you've got Siri telling you on the mound, blow it by him. Gas this motherfucker up. <laughs> like, how does that how does that get you amped oh that's sick that's that's what it sounds like right like that is Uh, 2025 in major league baseball well it's just gonna say it's just gonna say fastball and then you just yeah all right low then if you say no if you say no then we gotta wait for you to click another one and then you gotta hear curveball and say "Mm, no you're having to click another one slider (laughs) and then that was like a 15 second ordeal God, I mean, talk to me about like one bar of LTE, right? Hmm, I'm having trouble understanding. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, what if there's issues at that point? Like there's going to be tech- technological issues. Yes. And then when that happens, then they go back to regular signs. And it's like, all right, we're back to square one anyways. <laughs> like, yeah, it just, wow. it's just a crazy concept to me. Just change your signs up a little bit. It's baseball, man. It just, it's just not, it's not that bad. It's not that hard. It's man. not... It's not that devastating. Just, just just change your signs up a little bit. I also don't get why they don't have a second set of signs already established for when there's a guy on second base. 
Like when there's a guy on second base, we will do this. When there's not a guy on second base, we stick with this. Like why every time it's like, oh, we had no idea that somebody was going to go to second base. Now we got to act like we got yeah. to we got to sort it, this out. No way, someone made it to second. Let's let's go change the signs. Like it's going to happen. Someone's going to go to second, no matter how good you think you are on the mound. Have a plan for it. I don't need to have it be time every single time somebody hits a double. It's just miserable. It's miserable. Purely idiotic. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing this Rule 5 conversation that you're going to have on Wednesday. I was on Episode 1 with you of the Prospects episode. Peter was on Episode 2. I think you might have to bring a new guest in for Episode 3. We'll see. Yeah. Be a, uh, an informed prospect discussion with somebody on the Just Baseball staff. We shall see. Um, Peter and I talking about a whole laundry list of things for tomorrow's episode. Uh, including Noah Syndergaard absolutely lighting into Mike Francesa, which I'm sure which is loved. which is so funny because we were just talking about Mikey the other day. Yeah. Peter's a big yeah. fan, so I'm excited to hear about that. I just uh, I just keyed uh, Peter into Mike Francesa not knowing who Dino Babers was, the head coach of Syracuse football. <laughs> somebody called in and said, uh, somebody called in and said, Hey Mike, what do you think about the job Dino Babers is doing at Syracuse? And Mike was like, uh, that that's a fake name. Why are you calling him with a fake name? Get out of here. Don't waste my time. <laughs> Don't waste my time. That's a fake name. Uh, yeah. Him and him and the mad dog, they are the godfathers. They, uh, oh. they were the first. The Godfathers are just being really mean to their to their callers. <laughs> yeah, like, don't yeah. you realize that's somebody that freaking is is listening? He's listening to your show, bro. Even if you don't like what he's saying, he's listening to your show. Like, th- just just don't be an ass. It's it's not it's not that hard. Also, speaking of Syracuse, lost to Colgate, hundred eighty five, two three yeah. zone. We will never ever leave it. Even when the other team splashes eighteen threes, which was more than half of their total field goals. You stay in the two three zone, and that's why Jim Beheim is a goat. Love this guy. The, tell you what, though, th- this Colgate coach Langle, he's a he's a high major head coach. Yeah, let's he's give let's give Colgate credit, but Syracuse hasn't lost to Colgate since nineteen sixty two. Yeah, Jim Beheim, might it might it might be time. Zone's beatable. Yeah, I thought it was indestructible. <laughs> You just have kidding, to shoot. It's pretty crazy. It's crazy. It, it's, called, it's called the wings. It's called yeah. running the baseline. And it's called having a competent passing big. And right at the free throw, throw line. line. Yeah. Right at the free yeah. throw line. There are five weak spots of the 2-3 zone, and they are so well documented. So, And then we have the most unathletic team in Syracuse uh, that they've had in a while. So you're running a 2-3 zone with a bunch of dudes that can't move that well. And so now they're not even closing out on shooters. And it's going to be a long season, Jack. It's going to be a long season. All of my teams suck. I have yeah. nothing to live for in the sports world. Except Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero, you're going to lose that bet. That's fine. Uh, I've got him at under 20 points per game. What's he at right it, now? It was 19.5. Oh, 19.5. He's What's averaging he 21. Okay. Yeah, I've still got a plenty of time. Um, all right. That's at Arm Layton 8. I'm Jack underscore McMullen 11 on Twitter. Any other handle or link you need is in the episode description. We will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. Everybody. <laughs>